You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. If you have a Bible, turn to Titus chapter 3. Or if you have an app on your mobile device, you can make your way to Titus as well, your fake Bibles, it's okay, we allow fake Bibles in church. I just offended every single young person in here, to the glory of God. How's it, you guys doing all right this morning? All right, still a hangover from Turkey, maybe a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, our stomachs maybe still a little full from Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys had a good Thanksgiving. I know that it was a blessing for me just to take a day and just to be thankful. Um, it's on, for me, it's my favorite holiday. Christmas is all right. Thanksgiving is amazing because there's nothing in it for ourselves in Thanksgiving, right? Except for gluttony. But other than gluttony, um, it's really just about being thankful. And so, um, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We are in our 11th message in the book of Titus. And we have looked and gone through Titus for 11 weeks now. We're going to finish up in here in just a couple of weeks. And what we're doing through our study in Titus is throwing back. We are throwing back and trying to get to the scriptures and say, what does Jesus want in his church? Because all of us bring baggage, whether it being baggage from Christian people we've known, or it could be some baggage that we've, we've gained from some other church that we've been a part of. So we all have baggage, we all have expectations, we all bring things to the table when it comes to the church. And so as we're throwing back and looking at the church Jesus wants out of the book of Titus, what we're saying in Throwback Church is we're trying to get down to the roots, going back to the way that it once was, the way that Jesus wants it, going back old school. And we are going to be talking about some old school principles today. So um, again, though, I think old school is new school. I think that we've done a great job of industrializing and making something uh, that it's not. We've taken this, this thing called faith and this thing that we've called Christianity and we've stained it and it has affected our witness. And that is why Jesus is deeply concerned with his church. Just so you know this, Jesus loves his church. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that he loves his church so much that he died for her. And so let us be a people who love what Jesus loves. Let us be a people who are passionate for what Jesus is passionate about. And that is his church and that is his church reaching lost people. And because Jesus cares about his church, what we've seen in chapter 1 is the leadership that Jesus wants leading his church. Now we know Christ is the head, Jesus is the senior pastor, and everyone else follows Jesus who is the chief shepherd. He's our boss. He is God. But we know that Jesus also has implemented biblical leadership, qualified biblical leadership to run his church. That's chapter one. Chapter two, what we've seen is the life of Jesus's church. How are you and I to do life as Christians with one another. We, when we, the moment we become a Christian, we don't just become a Christian and get into heaven. We become a Christian and become part of the family of God. And so how, as Christians, do we live in the family of God? And that's what we looked at at chapter 2. And now what we're transitioning to here in chapter 3 is legacy. 
chapter 3, we're going to be taking three messages to finish up chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about the legacy. What is the legacy of gospel change that is to take place in our lives? Because the reality is, it's not as though we might possibly leave a legacy. You and I, we are going to leave a legacy. But the question is, what type of legacy are we going to leave? We've all inherited a legacy and we all will leave a legacy, but it is our time, it is our place. God said, all right, you're up, it's your turn. And the history of creation and the timeline of this world, you have an opportunity to leave a legacy that would glorify God. And so as we look at what it looks like to leave a godly legacy, we can't ever forget um, because what we can do often is, all right, here we go, chapter three. There's gonna be more things to do, more things to do, but we have to remember what we just came out of. What did we just come out of? The end of chapter 2. And what was chapter 2 all about? Grace. Specifically, verses 11 to verses 14, we took three messages on just talking about the grace of God. And wasn't it beautiful to grow and understand and knowledge and in depth about the grace of God? That is to say that God's grace is unmerited favor. It is God doing his goodwill to those who do not deserve it. Where we think, all right, God, I've done good things, I've arrived, I've, I've accomplished some things, and now I've earned your love and favor. And God says, no, 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 no. Before you ever loved me, I have loved you. It's 1 John four nineteen. That God has loved us before we ever loved him, and he's given us grace when we never deserved it, when we couldn't earn it. And we dissected past grace, present grace, and future grace. And I love that as we wrap it up now with future grace, we can know that our future has a trail of hope blazed before us. Because future grace tells us who holds our future and what our future holds, right? That we no longer have to live in fear of not sure how things are going to work out. No longer do we, the, the future is scary, no doubt. But because of future grace, we know what our future holds and who holds our future. And his name is Jesus. Jesus holds our future. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. That's a great thing. That's something to rejoice in. That's something we can sit back and say, wow, God. So now everything you do as a Christian is out of the grace of God that has been given to you and to me. Does that make sense? So now it's not about us doing things to earn favor from God, but because we have earned favor from God, now we do things for God. There's a difference there. We do things out of the overflow of grace that God has given us to in our hearts. We get to do things for God. And by his grace, we advance to do great things for him because God has done great things for us. The greatest thing he could ever have done is sent his son, Jesus, to step in our place to take our cross. And in exchange for the punishment from God that was put upon his shoulders, then he now gives us eternal life. And because of that eternal life, now we live because we have received and understood the grace from Jesus, and because we have received grace, we now live on mission so others will come to know the grace that you and I have tasted. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We are going to be throwing back and looking at mission. Mission. What does it look like to be on mission? And a little disclaimer here. What do I mean by mission? Throwback mission. Here's what I mean by mission. I don't mean you 
getting on an airplane or climbing on a boat and going overseas. That is awesome, and people do that, and glory to God they do that. That is a great thing, but that's not it. Mission is right here, right now. Your neighborhood is your mission field. Your workplace is your mission field. Your playground is your mission field. All of that is mission. And so when we talk about mission, we're not talking about, all right, when you save up enough money, you get on an airplane in a couple years or a couple months and you go and you fly to some third. No, we're talking about right now because Hawaii is our mission field, especially for those of us who are part of this local church. And so that's what we mean by mission. And so take that with you, and let's look and read at uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. If you all can stand for the reading of the word of God this morning, too, to show honor and reverence to him. Verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Jesus, thank you for this time and this opportunity that we have to be in your scriptures, in your word. Thank you, God, that your grace has covered our past, that your grace enables our present, and that your grace is ever before us in the future, enabling us to do great things for you. Not for our sake, but for your sake. So now in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you give me the words to say? Would you help me to be faithful to the scriptures? And God, soften the hearts that are in here in church this morning. May you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying through your word. We know, Jesus, that you esteem your word above your very name. Your name is powerful. So let our hearts be positioned to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the word of God. God, if there are those in here this morning that do not know you, I pray that by your grace, Jesus, you would transform them, that they would come to faith in the knowledge of who you are. So God, would you be glorified in this time as we study you and what it means to be a church who makes disciples and is on mission. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Now, before we get right into Titus, we kind of have to pause for a second. If we're going to be effective in our culture as Christians, we need to know what's happening in our culture. Now, I'm not saying that means you need to go out and get smashed drunk to contextualize, all right? That's not effective. But what we are looking at, what we need to do is say, all right, where is culture at with God and with Christianity and with life at large? Our world and culture as we know it is not the same anymore. It used to be culturally acceptable to go to church and to believe in God. It is not culturally acceptable anymore to go to church or to believe in God. There used to be social benefits to being part of a church. Now there are social, social disadvantages of being part of a church. It was once culturally acceptable where if you uh, did this, did, 
you had a child out of wedlock and you were not married, though you sinned, it was culturally acceptable for the, the man who did that not to abort the baby or murder the baby, but to have that baby and for that man to now come alongside that woman and to, to marry them out of respect because, well, they did something wrong and it was culturally acceptable to do that. But what happens today? Men flee from responsibility. And if women do not abort the baby, they keep the baby, and that baby doesn't have a father. And it's very difficult. But what was once culturally acceptable has become unacceptable. Cultural, uh, it was once culturally unacceptable to shack up, right? You would see, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend, if, I mean, if they were shacking up, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, even, you look at like, what are you doing? I mean, those, oh my gosh, you know they're not married? In the neighborhood, it's like, oh, I mean, they must be some really wicked people. Now, there are Christians, so-called Christians, who are shacking up with their boyfriends and their girlfriends, and what was once culturally unacceptable is now fully acceptable. Homosexuality was once culturally unacceptable, even 10 years ago, 10 years ago. And November 8th of this last month, our Hawaii state lawmakers said, no, not only is it acceptable, but it is a civil right for same-sex couples to get married. Do you guys realize the cultural shift that has happened here? And, And some of you who are older have noticed it especially from the last couple of elections. Um, And I'm not blaming our president for that. People are wicked. We elected him, just so you know. I'm not here to bash him. The people elected him. And this is where our culture is going. And we're not here to talk politics. We're here to talk about Jesus. But it helps us to understand where we are at because for the first time in the Western world, and specifically even here in Hawaii, in a couple hundred years, we are now post-Christian. We were once the majority, but do you know that we are not the majority anymore? You are not popular anymore. You are, what Peter said, a peculiar people. You are strange. While most people are going to the beach, watching football, or still trying to recover from their hangover from the night before, you're in church. And you're a a minority now. You are not a majority And none of us have ever been here before. Our grandparents haven't been here before. Our great-grandparents haven't been here before. And you've noticed the changes. It's different. So now the question is, how do we live and how are we to be on mission in a post-Christian culture? Because you felt it. Even if you haven't known that, we've all felt that pressure upon us. And what happens when we feel that pressure sometimes? Peace! I'm going to move to the mainland. I'm going to move to Canada and get a cabin and buy a bunch of stockpile of weapons and canned goods. I'm going to build myself a bunker, and then I'm going to stay there until Jesus comes or I die. Right? That's how we do it. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are not to hit the eject button on God's mission. Instead, we engage. We stay put. We get our boots on. We stand our ground. And we fight for the glory of God. And we fight for lost souls to come to meet Jesus. And that's what verse 1 and 2 are all about as we get there. 
verse 1 and 2, which we are going to be spending our time this morning, all has to do with us living among the people. I mean, if you look at verse 1 and 2, we'll read it here in a moment again. But, but Paul is, is assuming that these Christians are not going to flee and run away when things get tough, but they're going to stay. They're going to fight. When the pressure comes, when the persecution hits, and I'll tell you right now, the first way persecution is going to hit, I believe, the Christian church, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's going to hit through prosecution. It's going to come through the law. It's going to come through hate and intolerance, and it's coming our way. And we don't flee. We stand our ground. We are unshakable. But when it comes to mission, we cannot flee. We do not burn bridges. We build bridges. We do not retreat, but we reach out. We do not run, but we engage in the battle. We engage with our people, knowing that a majority of people, some say two out of Two out of ten people in Kona, some statistics say, in the North Kona region are Christian. Two out of ten. This used to be the most Christian nation on earth. The most Christian nation on earth. What has happened? I believe, though, that post-Christian is kindling for revival. I believe that the direction we are going is the very thing that God is going to use to bring revival which I hope and I hope we are all hoping and praying for, not just in one church, but all the churches that are faithful to Jesus and his word. We should reach out. We gotta wake up, church. It's high time. We need to be on mission. And I, what I mean by mission is I'm not saying our mission is not to change culture. Our mission is to see Jesus transform lives. Our mission is not to go around pointing the finger at sinners, expecting them to live like us, but our mission is to point sinners to Jesus. Don't critique the way that they dress. Don't critique the music that they listen to. They need to meet Jesus first and in many. I just saw a, a, a Facebook post of someone's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Gap is supporting gay people. It's like, they're sinners. And he's a pastor. He's a pastor. And I saw him post this up. It's like, why are you surprised at that? Until they meet Jesus, there should be no surprise at all. They have no ability to, to, to kill the flesh and become alive and anew in Jesus because they have not been born from above. So we need to understand our culture. I believe that our culture enjoys, as they enjoy the slumber they're in. God will awaken souls and bring them to himself. And just so you guys know, guys, hell is real. Hell is eternal. Hell is hot. Hell is a place of punishment. And there are popular Christian authors today who will say, no, no, no. When people die, they're going to go. And Rob Bell is sending more people to hell because of the book that he wrote on Love Wins. And that is garbage. Love wins. Yes and amen. But God is love. And God, a loving God, brings people to himself for those who repent and believe in the name of Jesus. But because God is also love and God is also good, it means that God will also punish those who do not repent. I say this, guys, I want this to be fuel to your veins. I want this to be our anthem as a people, as Shorebrook Church. Man, let us be a people who are on mission. Let's be people who get out of our Christian bubbles and make some non-Christian friends. If you can't count your non, I mean, if you don't know, if you can't count 10 unsaved people that, that you know, there's a problem there. If you can't count, if you're a Christian, 
10 saved friends, just so you know, there's a problem there as well. You're, you're, you've gone too far to the other side. And so there, there's a balance in the middle. Now, again, as we talk about all this, no, we have God's grace, all right? We have God's present grace and future grace enabling us through all of this. We want more people to meet Jesus. And our job is to tell people about Jesus so that they will come to salvation. We should care about people's souls more than our own reputation, more than our own fear of man. We should fear God. The good news is too good to keep a secret. So as we approach our text this morning, which that took way, um, way longer. It's going to be long this morning, just so you guys know. So get ready, get comfortable. The question behind our text, verses 1 and 2, let our minds be saturated in this question as we read through this. What is the Christian's responsibility in culture? What is our responsibility in culture? How are we to do life? How are we to be on mission in a setting where people do not believe in God anymore? Where Christians, many, are often living lukewarm. What does it look like to be salt and light in a mundane and dark culture? And the truth is, there's not one of us who haven't struggled with this tension of not being in the world, but not becoming too much of the world. And let me tell you, some of you have done some of the critiquing on culture. I believe your, your, your heart's in the right place. I believe that when you say, man, I wish they would dress better, or I wish they would not, and I wish they'd do that. Sometimes your heart's in the right place, but we just need to make sure that regeneration, regeneration through the power of the Spirit of God, which is what we're going to be talking about next week, happens first. That has to take place. Before we expect people to change their behavior, they need to meet Jesus. And so we all feel that tension, though, of, of, of being in this world, but not of the world, Right? And that's what Romans 12 says, that we are not to to become like this world, but that our minds are to be renewed, our minds are to be transformed. The the way we live, the way that we think, the way that we conduct our lives is actually different than the way that culture lives. And so out of this, some of us will overcompensate, right? We won't go to YouTube. What do we go to? We go to GodTube because it's better. We go, we, go to, we go to God too. Or some of us will, will not wear uh, graphic t-shirts of, that support secular businesses, but will wear Christian t-shirts. In fact, there's one person who I knew, and I, I made fun of him for it. I'm really cynical, just so you know. I, I, it, instead of Budweiser, it's no joke. It said Bloodweiser, like the blood of Jesus. And instead of King of Kings, or instead of King of Beers, it said King of Kings. And I was like, are you, no, no, just don't. It doesn't. And, and it's okay to wear Christian clothing. I'm not. I'm making fun of it a little bit, and I'm cynical and mean like that. But, 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 I'm, but that's what we think. All right, I'm sanctified. I'm, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. So I'm doing this thing, and, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about never going to the movies unless it's Passion of the Christ. And even though it's rated R, it makes it okay because it's about Jesus, and we're supporting a Jesus movie. Even though the, the Mel Gibson is not okay. See, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. No, 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 no. Paul said, Jesus said, 
Our great commission, church, is to go into the world. Not retreat, but to move in. Not to, not to escape from it, but to invade the space and the places where they need Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And so let this morning be kind of a rallying of God's troops, a gathering together of the people of God, where from this Sunday on, we are a church, when we say, this is what it means to be on mission, this is what it means to be on mission. And we go into the world, and we do it all without sinning. Now, we're, we're coming to Titus, I promise. But everything you and I learn, so you know, everything you and I learn is not for you. It's so that you would rightly worship Jesus, and in doing so, more people will come to meet Jesus. Everything we study and learn in Scripture is not for you just to keep to yourself. It's for you to duplicate, to multiply, to bring to more people. Or else, if we don't do that, we're just going to sit here and enjoy our Christian club and become spiritual fatheads, and no one's going to be meeting Jesus. And we don't want that. The church is a hospital for sinners. And we want to be a place where we welcome. And, and yes, you, got, you guys, those of you who have been part of this church for a long time, you know we are, we are all about Jesus. We are all about doctrine. We are all about theology because those things determine how we live. But it's all for the sake of the glory of God and the making of disciples. So in the church Jesus wants, as we come to verses 1 and 2, in the church Jesus wants, he wants a movement and not monuments. He wants advancement and not contentment. contentment. He wants multiplication and not subtraction. And what we don't see Paul telling the islanders that live on the big island of Crete to retreat because people are getting wicked. He also doesn't tell them to go and get live so much like the world that you're not making a difference. What does he tell them? All right, you want to be on mission, church? You want to know what God has for us? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient and ready for every good work. Now you read that, it's kind of like a buzzkill a little bit, isn't it? Honestly. Mission, get out there, the gospel. All right, let's do this. What do we got to do? Submissive? Really, God? Submissive. I wish everyone's like, I just can't wait for the rest of when, when is this going to be over, right? Submission is what we're talking about. Paul says, Christian, let me remind you. Be submissive. We need to be reminded to be submissive because we all struggle with submission. In fact, I've met with people, had counseling appointments with people, and from boss to employee uh, on the other side of my office and my, and, and, you know, on my desk and, or, or even married, marriage problems. And so we've talked. And, um, and I remember one uh, married couple that was there. Uh, I, was, I was good friends with them, and I built relationship with them. And, and they were having some marital problems and looking at her body language and his body language, um, I noticed I, I was kind of picking up on some things. And I just always had to be, I, you know, it never goes well when you have to say something like this. But I was like, just so you know, it's going to be hard to take this. But I don't think you're a submissive wife. She stands up. She's like, excuse me, sir. I understand a lot of things. And I know I struggle with things. But one thing I am not is, listen, I'm t- I am a submissive wife. At which I said, clearly, you're a submissive wife. I mean, you, you made my point perfectly. 
I didn't say that, actually. I would have gone slapped. It would have been over. <laughs> it's not just her. We all struggle with submission. But Paul says, no, 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 listen. This is how you are to live in culture. You are to be submissive. And of all the things he could have started out with, Paul is like, all right, look, this is our anthem. This is our call. Here's our mission. Let's do this. What are we going to do? Why would he start off with submission? In an anti-authoritarian culture, Jesus calls us to obey authorities. So as long as we don't sin. Our culture is very anti-authoritarian. Our culture bucks any authority we place on our shoulders. And Paul says, that's what the rest of the world does. But you've been called to a greater thing than that. I've called you to submit. And we all have it within our heart. We all are rebellious. We all still, even as Christians, struggle with the rebelliousness in our heart. That's why a majority of teenagers think they're three times smarter than their parents. They just do. That's why the employee is like, my, my boss is an idiot. My boss, I mean, if I, if I was the boss, if I do this, I... It's true. Every coffee connoisseur thinks they know more than their barista. They just do. They got their one drink perfected, and then they'll go and they'll say, oh, you need to do this. Listen, you might have no one drink, but your barista knows more drinks than you do. And the customer is not always right. And so you need to submit to the knowledge of the barista and let them get it right, all right? All the baristas are like, amen. <laughs> Preach it. I was a barista at one point, so I'm, I'm venting. This is therapy for me. <laughs> we all rebel and when they mess up on the drink we expect a free handout because we rebel we're, we're rebels we 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 don't like submitting to authority now let me just say this there's a place to rebel if if all right the government says you you, can, you can't carry these anymore well guess what we're carrying these or you can't preach the entire counsel of the word of God. Well, guess what? We're going to preach that. Well, it might mean jail. Well, we're going to preach it anyways. But most of us are not there yet. And you probably don't need me to give you a lesson on how to be rebellious. We all have got that down pretty well. We've inherited that from our first father, Adam. We're in Genesis 3. Adam rebelled against God, did not submit under the authority of God. And Adam splits with his wife Eve and they run from God in rebellion, thinking they can cover up sin and hide from God. We we've all understand rebellion. The reason Paul starts with this idea of submission is because Christian behavior directly affects the impact of the gospel. P please hear me on that. Your behavior, Christian, directly affects the impact of the gospel. For better or for worse, all our behavior, the way that we live, will either enact and enable the gospel or detract and disable the gospel, depending on what we're doing in life. Because every decision we make carries with it consequences, good or bad. Every decision. And so when it comes to mission and submission, fewer things are more beautiful to a lost world than, beautiful, than biblical submission. Am I right? Because when the world looks upon your life and you're submitting, if you're a student, you're listening to the teacher, you're not cheating on the tests, or you're obeying the boss, and the world looks at you like, they, they don't get it, right? I mean, it's within the fabric of our own culture. 
we like to rebel. I mean, School of Rock and Jack Black, I mean, they nailed it in that movie. Remember when he's in the classroom and he's sitting there like kicked back with his feet up on the desk and the student's like, what are we going to do now? He's like, go do whatever you want, right? And this is a kid's movie. It's great. And, but, 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 but Jack's just there and, and, and so they end up getting, he ends up getting on this rant and on this dialogue with students and he's like, just quit. Just don't do anything. The man is out to get you and the man is in the, the Oval Office. The man is your boss and the man is everywhere and you need to go against the man. And he said, there was a way to go against the man, to stick it to the man and that way was rock and roll. And then MTV took that away. And he's, we like sticking it to the man. We don't like submitting to authority. Even as Christians, we think, well, I'm, now that I'm a Christian, man, where is the, the, least, the, the path of least resistance? What is the easiest way to get through this life without submitting and being under the authority? And so people will bounce from church to church, from leadership to leadership, because they don't like being under the authority that God has put in place, or people move from job to job to job to job, because they don't like being under authority. And Paul would say, no, 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 let me remind you, Christian, let me remind you, Submit which means to put yourself under. And Christian mission is effective when we are submissive. There's a marriage between the two. When we are submissive, our mission as Christians is effective. Why? Some of you are like, I get it, submit. You've already, why? What's the big deal? I don't, why? Submission is a gospel reality. Submission is a gospel issue. We worship a God who perfectly modeled submission, right? Jesus submitted to the will of God, the Father, by leaving heaven and coming down to this earth. He submitted to his parents while he was growing up perfectly. Jesus submitted his entire life to the scriptures. Jesus, check this out, submitted to Caesar when he paid his taxes. Jesus submitted to God the Father and the shadows of the cross there in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was getting ready to be crucified. He was praying. He said, my father, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not my will be done, but your will be done. He submits to the will of the Father. See, submission is a gospel reality. And Jesus, who is most powerful over all creation, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that through Jesus, everything was made, and through Jesus, everything is held together. Yeah, that Jesus submitted. So what makes us think as Christians... That if we worship a God who submits, we can somehow try to get through life with minimal submission. That doesn't work that way. We're called to submit. Because our behavior profanes the gospel when we are rebellious, when we do not submit. But on the other hand, when we willingly submit because of God's grace that has been given to us, because we worship a God who submits, we are now in culture when we submit. It is beautiful to this world. So who are we to submit to? Verse 1, rulers and authorities, the government and leadership. Submit to government, submit to leadership, which means when people ask me, Christians have asked me, do I have to pay my taxes? Yes, you have to pay your taxes. 
But does that mean I have to be a good citizen? Yes, it means we have to be a good citizen. A guy asked me a few weeks ago about marijuana. He's like, is it really wrong for me to smoke marijuana? What if they legalize it and all this stuff? Like, First off, it's illegal. It's against the law. So the answer is, yes, you should not smoke marijuana. It's against the law. And even if our government passed that law, it's stupid. I mean, it makes you stupid. So it's just, why? Don't, don't. I mean, don't. And, and, and when, especially when I was a student pastor, um, there was a lot of, of high school kids who were like, I think the drinking law in America is stupid. I was like, yeah, like I can't see through what you're saying. Well, I can go to Europe and they, they're like 16 and 18 and 17 and they can drink. Why does it have to be 21 in America? I'm going to do it anyways. And, I, I'm a little, I'm a, and it's, most of the time it's guys. The girls don't really care. Most of the time it's the guys. And, and it's just like, really? Really? And what they'll say is, and we've, I've had debates with guys, about, well, the Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say anything about age, the age of 21 and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, you know what? You're right. You got that one on me. You were right. The Bible does not specifically say you cannot drink until you're 21 and above. But you know what the Bible does say? Submit to rulers and authorities. <laughs> Submit to rulers and authorities. So instead of rebelling, we submit. And when you rebel against authority, doesn't it hurt you in one way or another? You notice it's, you're falling on your own sword. But when you do submit, even as non-Christians, when even non-Christians submit, and people submit in the roles that God has placed, even within marriage and within government and within leadership and within society, isn't this place a better place? Because when we submit, we are living the way that God had wired this world. We can joyfully submit to our parents if we are young and listen to our parents and gain wisdom from them when we get older. Instead of rebelling, we can submit to our coaches. We can submit to pastors who God has placed in authority. We can submit to bosses that God has given us. We can submit to, if you're a wife, you can submit to your husband. All of us as people, we submit to the law. And ultimately, all of that submission is submitting to God. All of submission is submission to God. And to drive this gospel reality, to drive this gospel issue home, let me read to you. You don't have to turn there. Romans chapter 13. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. You guys see that there? That God has placed leadership and those people have been appointed by God to be in the, the very role that they have been. And so when we resist them, we're resisting God. Verse 6, he says in Romans 13, For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities were ministers of God. They're, they're ministering for God. Attending to this very thing, pay all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes is owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You guys see the submission here that is throughout the Bible. And this is not popular. This is not talked about a lot in churches. But it, this is the very thing that will make us effective. 
Your horizontal relationships do not determine your vertical relationship with God, but it does show vertically where you are at with God. Your willingness to submit shows where you are at in your relationship with Jesus. So when we rebel against authority, when we push up against the government, when we do everything, even when we get pulled over from a ticket, the way that we handle that shows us where we are at in our relationship with Jesus. I think King David is a perfect example of this, though, of someone who submits even when it seems unfair. You guys know King David, right? King of Israel. God, he's yet to be king of Israel, but he's anointed, set in place. God had called Samuel. Samuel had gone to David and said, you're going to be the king. And then God had gone to Saul in the meantime, and he said, Saul, God has removed you from being king this very day, and he has moved on to someone better than you. That, that hurt Saul. And Saul knew who that man was. It was his son-in-law. I mean, David had the worst father-in-law ever, right? His father-in-law is out to kill him. And he's not fighting for Israel. He's not fighting on the behalf of God. This man, Saul, is out to do one thing, and that is kill his son-in-law. And you guys remember, there's one time where they're hiding in caves, David and his mighty men. Saul goes into the cave to take a leak. And the guys are there, some of his mighty men. David, God gave you this opportunity. You can kill him right now. And what does David do? He goes, runs up with his sword, cuts off a piece of his underwear, (laughs) runs back. Saul exits the cave, lets him get a distance off. David walks out later. Hey, Saul, could have killed you, but I didn't. And the men were like, hey, David, why didn't you kill him? And what did David say? I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Is Saul anointed by God? Romans 13 would say, yeah. God put him there. Maybe not anointed to be the king of Israel at that moment, but Jesus perfectly submitted. David perfectly submitted. And when we all lovingly submit and obey, we are living as Jesus did and as the scriptures have beckoned us. And that means, that means, that means, even if they are not great leaders, maybe they're even wicked. We obey so as long as we are not sinning. And think about this. At the time Paul is writing this, Paul is telling to those on the island of Crete to submit to the dictatorship. He's telling, guys, submit to the dictatorship of Rome. I mean, can you imagine how the Cretans are feeling? They're reading this like, for real, Titus? We, we have to submit to Rome? They're a dictatorship. They are ruthless. They are mean and wicked people. Yeah, yeah, submit. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He doesn't say just submit, but he says to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. So we are to be obedient, ready for every good work God has called us. And reading these verses, you can see that Christians of all people should live exceptional lives. Amen? And so many times you think, oh, well, they've received the grace of God, so we'll cut them some slack. Well, sure, they've received the grace of God, but we should, as Christians, if we believe in Jesus, who is God, should we not reflect the Jesus who we believe in and live exceptional lives? And this means we care about all people, not just Christians. It means that if we are not just rebelling against authority, it means that we get to work early. 
We respect our bosses. We don't gossip against them. We don't trash talk uh, uh, behind our husband's back when we're with the ladies. And husbands, you don't throw your wives under under the bus either. We should be working the hardest, the most honest. And we... Because those coworkers that we might be around, they might be the only Christian you will ever see. They will ever see. You might be the only reflection of God they will ever encounter. And so be an awesome employee. Pay your taxes. Be nice to your barista and your waitresses. Tip them well. Christians are the worst tippers. How do I know? Because I worked in food and beverage. Christians tip the worst. Oh, the service was poor. So what? We have grace from God. Give them a generous tip and tell them, your service was terrible, but I love Jesus, and, 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 and here's a great tip, and God's given me grace, and I totally know where it's been, and I would love for, is there anything I pray for you for? Just be honest. I'm not saying you've got to lie. Be a good neighbor, or how about this? Get to know your neighbor. Some of us don't even know our neighbors. I don't know how to make brownies. And walk them over and say, I don't know what to say to you. Here's some brownies. Not high. And see what happens. Get to know them. The locals are like, come on, man, preach it. All the, all the, like, the howly kind of white people are like, oh, I'm so scared. And everyone's like, no, just go. I mean, get to know people. Have some, have some aloha. Get to know some people. And when we do this, you guys, we serve our communities we love our city. We, we, we're just generous, good people. We're good citizens. But again, not because we have to, guys, but because we get to. We get to do this. Verse 2, Paul goes on to say, to speak evil of no one. I love that. That simply means we shouldn't, it doesn't mean we can't um, disagree with people, but it doesn't mean we're trash-talking people. It doesn't mean we're gossiping. It doesn't mean we're slandering. We're not speaking evil of people. And, and just that does mean, and what goes on to say, to avoid quarreling, which means that we should not, as God's people, should be looking and diving in and trying to pick a fight, trying to, to get all up in people's grill, and trying to be, trying just to be a contentious person. No, 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 don't do that. And it doesn't mean we have to agree with everyone. Listen, we agree, we can we can disagree, but we disagree in a God-honoring way because we love them. He goes on to say, to be gentle. Christians should be gentle people. They should not be brutes. We should, we should be nice people. I just love the policy. Just be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Love that courtesy. We as Christians should be the most courteous of people. We should have aloha. We should love people. We should help out a single mom with Christmas gifts. We should have non-believers over for dinner and practice hospitality. Did you know that's what hospitality means? Hospitality is not, let's get a bunch of believers in our house and cook dinner for them. Hospitality in context is actually talking about having non-believers over for dinner, hanging out with people. Someone's car car breaks down, give them a ride. We should be the most of courteous people. We should outdo the atheists. We should outdo the the, the Mormons. We should outdo the Jehovah Witnesses. We should outdo uh, anyone who is is, is not a believer in Jesus, not because we want to outdo them, but because we love a great God and we serve a great God. And how are we supposed to do this 
by staying in the place of grace. By realizing that God has done something for us that we can never do for ourselves. We do this, we live on mission and thanking God for the past grace that he's had towards us. We are being empowered by the present grace that God has given us. And we can live and hope of future grace all through the Holy Spirit. You guys, don't do this on your own strength. You can't do this on your own strength. But God, the Holy Spirit, will empower you to do this. And he will help you. And it's not going to be easy, but it's the right thing to do. You see, guys know the Christians in Crete, they had their work cut out for them. You know that? Look at, look at verse 12 of chapter 1 really quick here. Uh, Paul is quoting one of their own prophets. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And they are to submit to those people and serve those people and love those people. And have grace towards those people. And listen, we don't serve just to serve. We don't, we don't hang out just to hang out. The end goal is to make disciples. Guys, make disciples. When we talk about mission, mission is not just sitting down and having a cup of coffee with a non-believer for a year. And then maybe waiting for an opportunity for them to, to share the gospel. For you to share the gospel with them. Mission is people meeting Jesus. Mission is us opening our mouth and communicating the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and a lot of us, what we'll do, and listen, I've done it, I do it all the time. I'll, I'll, I'll apologize for the offensiveness of the gospel and I'll try to put off the offense so that somehow if I become closer to them, the offense of the gospel doesn't hurt anymore. But Paul said, the gospel is offensive. The cross is offensive. So by taking out the offensiveness, we're removing the cross. If we're going to try to subdue the, uh, the, the offense of the gospel, it's to pull out the gospel altogether, and there's no more gospel. And so honestly, what I've done is, and I've, I mean, I've worked with bosses and employees who didn't know I was a Christian, and they're slamming Christians, throwing them under the bus, and I'm just like kind of sitting there like, and I have fear of man, and I don't want to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to say, well, I'm a Christian, and Maybe what you said is some true about some of other Christians. And I would say, I agree with you. But, you know, I mean, sorry. And that's just the way some of us live. But that's not the way all of us live. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll put it off and we'll say, no, I don't want to share the gospel. I just want to build relationships. So that I won't be offensive. And we'll hang under the banner of friendship. But we'll hang under the banner of, of, of discipleship or, or contextualization and just trying to, you just got to share the gospel. You just got to share the gospel. And so just so you guys know, part of that, what we're going to be doing is we're assembling a team. We're going to have two guys that are going to be leading a team. We're going to be uh, having a street evangelism team. We're going to be going out and hitting the streets. And uh, we're going to be making some changes in the future, even with the way we function as a church from the leadership top down. The great commission, Jesus said, is to go into all the world and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Because disciples make disciples. Disciples. Disciples make disciples. And that is our purpose on this earth, is to make disciples. 
And so from the top down, even the leadership structure of the church, the, some of the way, we run won't, the way we run won't change, but the way we function from leadership from the top down, we're going to try trying to be building a discipleship-based model so that I will be dis- discipling some people and those people will be discipling other people and then those people will be discipling other people and so much so that our entire church is discipled and being discipled all for the purpose of making more disciples. So even from our community group level, we want our community groups to be making disciples because the good news of the gospel is too good to keep a secret. We have to get it out there. So let's be bringing people to church. Let's be having people over for dinner and just sharing the gospel with them. The gospel is offensive, but it doesn't mean we have to be offensive. We can, we can be loving and gracious and say, hey, there's this guy named Jesus. And I didn't do anything to love him. I didn't do anything to deserve his love. But he came to this earth and he died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. And he was crucified and buried. And on the third day he rose again. And when he rose again, he conquered sin and death. And in his resurrection, by having faith in him, we can receive the gift of God, which is grace, which is what God's unmerited favor, God's unmerited gift, God's undeserved goodwill towards us. And you can believe in him too. And you can come to a place where you have a relationship with the God of the universe. And he won't just save you from hell, but he'll give you a new life. He just won't save you from your past sin. He will enable you to live in power and and growth, in the process of growth, to become more like Jesus and become less like the person you once were. Believe in him. Church, that is our call. That is our mission. Let us be a people who do that. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we've had just to study practically of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of you. You came, Jesus, to a culture that was foreign, to a language that you did not know, to a people that you loved. You learned the language, you loved the people, you ate the food, you went to the parties, all so that those who do not know you would come to know you. Jesus, you are the greatest missionary and we follow you. Help us to be a people who open our eyes to culture, who open up our hearts to um, the truths of the gospel and not just within our own lives, but that we would take this truth that we've learned and that we would go, that we would go to our workplace starting tomorrow, that we would go to the, the, the organizations or the beach or wherever our place of community is and that we would bring you with us, Jesus. And that we would bring the gospel with us and that the gospel would be quick to leave our mouth. So God, we, 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 Jesus, we want to be your people. But thank you for giving us grace that even when we fail, even when we stumble, even when we fall, your grace is there to supply us, to pick us up so that we can keep on going. Jesus, thank you. We all pray this in your name. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, 
Send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.